So hello everyone and welcome to this edition of Human Wisdom Live. Today we're going to be talking about conflict in relationships and how we can meet that or deal with that with compassion. I'm Manoj Krishna, the founder of Human Wisdom. And my guest today is Bhargavi Raman, who is a life coach and an expressive arts therapist from Bangalore. So welcome, Bhargavi. Thank you, Manoj. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, what are the common causes of conflict, do you think, between... Now, we're talking not just of romantic relationships. We're talking about parents and children, brothers and sisters, work colleagues, all conflict, right? Hmm. Um... So the, at the face of it, Manoj, I think the the one right at the surface is that the two people have two different desires or two different value systems that drive them, right? So they want different things. Yes. So when two people want two different things, then there's bound to be conflict. For example, in a couple, somebody might prefer to stay home a lot and that's their preference and they want to have a quiet life and the other partner is more driven to go out, party, meet friends, be very social. So it's two different sort of personalities, two different desires. Yes. And uh, So desire, you know, having different values and desires is one thing. I think the unmet expectations is another, that I have certain expectations of you which are not being met. And that causes conflict. We talked earlier about the different love languages. You want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So, for example, a common human need is to be loved, right? We all want to be loved and we want to feel loved. But how we feel loved, it depends on um, on what's our preference for being loved, right? So the love languages, for example, somebody might need a lot of physical touch and comfort to feel loved. Whereas the partner might need words of affirmation, right? Very, I need to hear you tell me that you love me. And if the two partners don't know this about each other, then there can be conflict, right? If there's no communication saying, hey, I need to be touched to feel loved. If yeah. that communication is not there, then one person goes on needing it and the other person doesn't know what to give or how to give it. And that yes. can... And in conflict. the workplace too, I have a need for my boss to tell me, hey, Manoj, you're doing a good job. And if I don't get that, and actually we don't conscious, we're not even conscious that that's why we're distressed. All we experience is some form of distress and we blame the other person for making us feel that way. Um, yeah, I think that's another core reason for conflict, right? That we that we put it on the other person. Yes. That, um, that I'm right and that this is what I'm feeling and that's absolute, right? And that the other person's responsible for fixing it or changing things or whatever it is. Or causing it, yes. But we believe what we feel is true. Mm. See, all of us believe what we feel. It's real, but we also think it's true. That if I feel I'm angry and you're causing my anger, then I never doubt that. We never doubt the feelings or the thoughts that we have. And that's one of the other reasons uh, for conflict. Yeah, but it doesn't ever work, right? Because when we put it outside and we don't question it, we're still in the same frustrating situation again and again, and the same conflict repeats. Yes. And we don't know why that's happening. And we feel helpless. Oh, nothing works in this relationship. So the only answer is to leave this person because this pattern of conflict is repeating. The other person is not changing or listening or whatever. 
And therefore, uh, my mind assumes there's only one answer because it never doubts the certainty of its own perception or assumption or whatever it might be. Okay. But we also have these unmet emotional needs in all our relationships that we are not even aware of, right? We expect things from other people and when they're not met, then that can be a root cause of conflict. So we have a need, for example, to be understood, to be accepted, to feel safe, to belong, to feel important, to valued, physical intimacy. But we humans aren't even aware of these emotional needs we have, are we? Yeah, and along with that, um, so we don't know our needs. We have a bunch of expectations of the other person and we feel that the other person is responsible to do the work. Right. And when we have all of this, what is our communication likely to be? Right. Yes. There's many challenges in communication, I think, that really cause conflict. Yes. So the tone, um, just assuming that this is what the other person meant when that may not be the truth, right? Not enough clarification in communication. Um, and also bringing in judgment that I have decided that this is who you are, but there's no curiosity anymore. Um, and yes. that can be a big challenge in communication and makes the other person feel really bad and it doesn't lead to resolution at all. So, so I think I've been in situations, I'm sure you have, where so someone gets upset with something I've said and I clarify, I said, no, that's not what I meant. But the other person is so certain of their own perception. They said, no, no. But I said, I know what I meant. No, no, I'm sure I think you meant something different and so on. You see what I mean? So it's just our mind making assumptions in communication of what the other person is thinking, feeling, what they mean, and not being curious, as you say, not asking yeah. a question. What did you mean by that? Um, okay. Criticism, huge cause of conflict, right? Our mind is automatically critical of anything it meets that's different from the smallest things to how you're cooking or cleaning the kitchen to big things, you know. Um, and that right. can cause huge conflict all the time. Right. I, I, I think another aspect of this is uh, in relationships, especially long-term ones, um, when that initial excitement and that uh, sparks are sort of fading away, then uh, there's a lot of scope for taking the other person for granted. Yes. And um, taking the relationship for granted and not valuing enough um, what we've built together. So then we just start being more critical or saying mean things or just saying this being dismissive in conversation, all of which can lead up to conflict. And the paradox is the closer our relationship, the more likely we are to be critical of people. Yeah. You know, if we've got a friend we meet once in a while, we're much more careful of how we say what we say. But when it comes to our children, our spouses, uh, we are, we, there are no barriers at all. We think it and it's out at the criticism and so on. It can really wear people down, especially children, uh, can be worn down by this constant barrage of criticism, which the adult may think is well-meaning. Um, and of course, the other aspect of this conflict, Bhargavi, is not respecting the other person. Like you might be an artist and I might be a doctor and I might think, what is this artist? You know, I may not tell you, but inside I may feel 
I may not respect what you're doing. And in all relationships, that lack of respect can trigger conflict. Yeah, I think that's in uh, parent-child relationships where uh, so many parents, especially in India, I think, don't give that respect and autonomy to children. Of course, when when they're very small, they need to be guided and all of that. But when it comes to them making life choices, parents imposing their view, not really respecting, right? And taking that relationship for granted, saying that you're my child, so you will do what I yes. ask you to do. I demand um, that you respect me and love me because I'm your parent. Yeah. And of course, you know, that formula never works, neither with children nor with spouses or, or even at work, right? Just because I'm your boss doesn't mean that you're going to respect me. I have to earn that respect and affection, all of that. Okay. So I'm sure we could go on about the causes of conflict, but there are certain hidden drivers in our own thinking, in the human mind, which are common to all human beings, which are responsible, if you like, for this conflict, aren't they? One of them perhaps is conditioning. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Hmm. So I think conditioning happens at so many levels uh, in all of us human beings. There's the conditioned thought patterns, like for example, competitive thinking, um, or um, having beliefs that I'm holding on to as the truth. So at the beliefs level, there's conditioning. At the values, what I like, dislike, we're conditioned. And then we're conditioned, I think, even more fundamentally for things like to feel safe in our coding of our human needs, right? Yes. And um, we, if we're not aware of these levels of conditioning, then we're just acting out from any of these places unconsciously. Yes. And can lead to results that we're not very proud of or, you know, situations like conflict. Yes. Um, and for yeah. example, Manoj, I just want to speak up a little bit about, you know, this parent-child example that we were talking about. Yeah. This power play, right, which is so common in human relationships. Yes. Uh, the need to feel superior, to feel good about myself, <laughs> you can call it the ego or whatever, that's, um, or the personas that we put on. Um, that needs to feel good, feel superior. I think that's a very big um, contributor to conflict. And the roots of that really lies in our conditioning, that we're wired to feel that way, to seek pleasure and to feel good and superior and to, you know, not feel bad about ourselves. That's such a deep-rooted conditioning. So you mentioned two or three things, which are worth just elaborating on. One is that the human mind has a need for pleasure. And one of the ways we get pleasure is by being superior to somebody else or having a power over somebody else, whether it's a child. And if simple things like the child doesn't go want to go for a walk with you, you know, teenager, then you start emotionally blackmailing them. Oh, but you don't love me enough. And, you know, all of that stuff starts off, right? Uh, so there's a power play. Simple things like which movie to go to and which pizza to order and where to go on holiday can become a power play. But on the conditioning level, it's so important because we become attached to our conditioning, don't we? So if I've grown up thinking, for example, my mother did all the cooking in the house. When I get into a relationship, I expect the woman to do the cooking. And if she doesn't, then I get upset. I think that's wrong. And I don't realize that it's just my conditioning, which I'm not, we're not even aware we're conditioned. That's the main thing to realize. Yeah. So another example of that is women who feel that they do everything in the household, 
right? And they're conditioned just to feel that, no, I want the man to contribute, but he doesn't. What, however much he does, it's not enough. Ah, okay, so that could and be the other side of that coin. The other side of the coin, yeah. Yes. And that's also conditioning that I have abandoned myself. Why am I not drawing boundaries, right? Why am I not delegating tasks, right? We don't question it. We just feel that, oh, I do it all the time and nobody values me. Yes. Right? So our conditioning becomes the me. See, so when I say I want the dishwasher stacked in this way, it's not just a simple preference. It's got all the weight of my ego behind that. Do you know what I mean? That can cause intense irritation and people fall out over toothpaste, as you know. You know, couples divorce over <laughs> how the toothpaste is squeezed and silly things like that. Okay. So we've talked about conditioning. We've talked about um, uh, power play. What about um, expectations, assumptions, and judgments? All our biases. I think a lot of that are um, culturally inherited also. They're culturally inherited conditionings. For example, if I come from a very academic family, hmm. uh, I might expect that I be engaged with at a very intellectual level, which... Maybe sometimes my partner, my friends may not be of a similar background, but if but I might be quick to judge and say, oh, or quick to disrespect, right? Yes, yes. Um, but that comes from that hard stance. I feel judgment always puts us in a defensive and we're closed, right? And we could experience that in our bodies. Um, we'll know, you know, that our breath may be getting a little shallower. I'm feeling a little defensive, almost like having an armor, right? Yes. But we can inquire into it and break it down a little bit. We would be a yes. lot gentler. Yes. Yeah. Our past trauma plays a huge role in conflict. Because if I've been injured before in my childhood or in the past, I'm much more easily triggered, much more easily think that the other person is responsible, have a higher degree of expectations of others. And we're not even aware of this process going on in the background. Yeah, Manoj, I think the what you say about past trauma is a very plays a very big role in our ability to show up as adults in our relationships. Hmm. Uh, because many times when there's trauma, other inner parts can hijack the system, right? Yes. The eight-year-old yes. frozen child who gets triggered when someone raises their voice, for instance, or you know, there's there's so many forms of trauma that we may be unaware of. I think it's really important to do the work to unearth what our personal traumas are and how they impact the relationship. And just becoming aware of that, I think, is the first step. We haven't yet come to talking about compassion and how to uh, work with conflict compassionately. But I think the first step to doing that is to be able to step back and say, okay, yeah, I, I do have these traumas. Hmm. I am on a short fuse. I do have an anger issue. You know, and these are the things that trigger me off, and these are the way I, the ways I think or feel or hold tension in my body that triggers me. You know. Yes. So there's so many levels of that work. I feel. Um, in a so many people are not aware of it, right? They're not aware of that process, and therefore those relationships are really they really struggle um, because we automatically our mind assumes always the others are responsible for how we're feeling not realizing that how we feel is triggered by our own reaction to 
what's being said or somebody's done. So it's our own reaction that creates what we feel, but our mind is not aware of that. It's it's hidden from our own understanding. Okay. But our mind also compares all the time. So I compare what you're doing with what I regard as normal, how you're dressing, you know, how you're behaving. And if you're different to what I regard as normal, then either I'm critical or I get you to change or, you know, and that's, as you can tell, parents, children or spouses or at work even. Can, and some people just automatically critical. The mind is automatically critical. So you see some relationships where one person is just has a running commentary on what the other person's doing in a kind of critical, judgmental way. Yeah. And I think to respond to that could really be an inquiry into how do I practice respect in my life? Yes. Right? Yes. Um, what am I taking for granted or... Where am I automatically critical? I think these are very good inquiry questions to sit with yes. for all of us. I'm sure we're all doing it in some relationship or the other, somewhere or the other, right? Yes. So to realize before we're critical of somebody that, hang on, this is just the difference between what I regard as normal and what the other person is doing. You know? And what does this tell me about me, not about the other person? See? And what impact is this going to have on the other person? So all those questions come with this wisdom, just being able to look and learn about ourselves and grow in self-awareness, self-understanding. And that can help us avoid so many conflicts in our relationships. Okay, but let's move on to um, maybe this, the nub of this talk or the central theme of this event, which is how can we respond when we're in conflict with compassion. Like we were speaking just now, um, the first step is really to wake up to the fact that all of this is going on inside me and in my mind and there are from where my reactions are coming, which is then causing conflict um, or expect from where expectations are coming, which is then causing conflict, right? Um, and then I really think the focus, I think, which has been the focus of our discussion also so far, is to really take ownership of my contribution. Yes. That's... And that's so hard, right? Because mm -hmm. it goes against the grain of everything my mind is telling me. My mind is telling me, you're responsible for how I'm feeling. And the last thing, the hardest thing is for me to take ownership and say, how I'm feeling is coming from me and to be curious about that. But if you could take that step, then I think that opens a door to not only resolving the conflict, but also growing as a human being and strengthening that relationship because the conversation then evolves into a deeper learning of the root cause of that conflict, which could be conditioning, could be the power play, could be emotional needs, could be all the things we've talked about, comparison and, and so on. Okay, um, what about um, the emotional needs and, uh, and expecting other people to meet them? How do we address that with compassion? 
I think the first step is to, like you said, to get in touch with our feelings. And my, it's really a question of how, how much I'm very curious, like on a scale of one to five, how much would we all think we really know our feelings and we're in touch with it in our bodies, right? Or do we think that we're angry or do we think that we're sad or do we really feel it, right? I think that's the first level of taking ownership to um, notice emotion and to really know how I do emotion and feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Then that opens up into an inquiry into needs. Where is this feeling coming from? Uh, is the need for belonging, for acceptance? Is it, uh, if I'm feeling agitated in a relationship, is it my need for space? Mm -hmm. Maybe I need more space in this relationship. Uh, and am I acknowledging those needs as mine, right? When we yes. project onto others, we're we just say, you are always in my in my space, you know, you don't, you, 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 you need to give me more room. Yeah, we yes. immediately to say it to the other person, but you know, what would it be, feel like to say, hey, I need space. And so can we work it out and uh, figure out a way where I can have more space? It's a very different thing, right? Yes. Um, so you're saying two things. Firstly, to wake up and realize why we're agitated. And that could be because of some unmet emotional need. I might be complaining to you that the kitchen is dirty, but it's not about the kitchen. Mm. It's about some unmet need underneath that. Right? Yes. So to wake up and see what that need is in me, but then to be able to express it in with mm -hmm. kindness. Right? Hey, I have been feeling unloved, Oh, I felt bad because you didn't do this or that. Rather than saying it's your fault, but to express it as this is how I'm feeling. That's compassion. Exactly. And to also not make a demand, right? Yes. It's um, to say that you need to stack the dishwasher in this particular way every day. Yes. I, I, you have to do it. Else there'll be dire consequences, right? Where I might be emotionally withdraw this or that, which or shout and you know lose my who all of that's possible. But if we take a step back and say, but this person, whether it's my child or my partner or whoever, is not responsible to meet my needs. Yes. How would that yes. be? But I am primarily responsible to meet my needs, and then I can make a request of my partner or my child or whoever to say that, hey, this is what I would that I need, would you, to what extent would you be able to give it to me? Yes. And that's a very different thing than saying, I need you to meet my needs and you have and it to. It creates a different reaction too. If I tell my boys, hey, I've been feeling, I've been missing you and you know, I feel like we should connect, totally different response to, hey, you guys don't respect your father anymore. <laughs> you know, that's a totally different reaction, you see? So I think what we're talking about is being vulnerable and sharing that vulnerability with people in our relationships about how we're feeling. Okay. Now, the other thing to respond with compassion, I think, is to let go of our attachment to our own narratives, right? To first, wake up and realize we're attached to them. And secondly, to let them go. It's really hard for the human mind to do that. It's really hard also because we're wired to seek pleasure and to avoid pain. It's a hard wiring. It's our reptilian brain that dictates this, which is very, very, the drives are so built into our DNA, right? So to overcome that and say that um, my attachment to pleasure, which could be whatever I want, right? And my 
aversion to pain, which is that, you know, you shouldn't do this to me or et cetera, all of that comes up in relationships. To loosen that and say, okay, but these attachments and these pleasure seeking and pain avoidance is all part of my wiring and maybe I can be curious about it. Yes. Right. And I maybe I can make different choices than just be unconsciously driven by it. Yes. Um, I think that's a big one, but very, very hard one. <laughs> Letting go of attachments. Being being human so, is not easy, but you know, it's <laughs> as hard as all this hard work is, it's much better than living with conflict because that's just a waste of life. You know, with such a short life on on the earth. And if you live with conflict, you're just kind of wasting it. Especially if you're living in conflict and not learning from that and growing as a person. But one of the things that I found has really transformed my relationships is when somebody is upset to ask myself, what's going on underneath the words that are being spoken? Because I would normally just react in the past, just react to the words being spoken and realize I said, that's unreasonable. But if I pause and ask what's behind that, then that awakens compassion. This person is hurting. This person I love, my child, my spouse, or even could be a work colleague who I want to get on with, is hurting in some way. Why are they hurting? What's going on? See? And that then brings its own compassion, doesn't it, Bhargavi? Mm. Yeah, absolutely, Manoj. I think uh, I think it would be interesting to, to, to speak a little bit. Sorry, go ahead. I was saying that I think it would be interesting to speak a little bit about uh, what can enable us to come to that space yes. where we can be curious about the other person. Because when there's conflict, we're usually closed. We're, yes. right? we're, we don't have the ability to be curious about what the other person might want. If we had that, if it came so easily, then there would be much less conflict in the world. No? So what you're saying is, what's the homework that we can be doing on ourselves, with ourselves, in any relationship, to, so that this conflict can be avoided? We can meet that conflict with compassion. And that requires us to work on ourselves, right? So let's explore that question. What's the work we need to be doing with ourselves or on ourselves. You talked about being compassionate to yourself first, right? Yes. I think the even before compassionate to self, I think it's just first to witness witness ourselves, to, to step back and to really notice all thoughts and feelings and needs and our conditionings and all of it. In order to do that, who's doing that, right? Who's doing that? So I think really just cultivating practices uh, and I'm a mindfulness practitioner. So I am very drawn to a variety of mindfulness and arts-based practices that can help us step back and be a witness to everything that's happening in our minds, right? And in, in our bodies. How can and we then, do that? Yeah. Give an example to everyone as to what technique can we use to be a witness now, being a witness means, of course, just observing, not judging, etc. What technique can we suggest in terms of witnessing what's going on in our own thinking and feelings? Um, any practice that really slows us down, because when we're in, when we're operating from conditioning, we're fast. We're just going with it, right? So any practice that slows us down will help us be witness more. And I think the best tool is the breath. It's 
the most okay. accessible. We can be anywhere. We can be in the middle of conflict or in a peaceful place when we can just decide to tune into the breath. Yes. And what works for me is something really simple, which is breathing in to a count of four and breathing out to a count of eight. Because it's a slow breathing out that activates the parasympathetic system that really calms things down. If you practice that, and the app has lots of um, space for that, lots of exercises, then in the middle of a conflict, you can tune into the same breath practice. And it gives you all the space to make intelligent choices and to do all the, all the things we've been talking about, right? I think the most, the direct way that this works is that we become aware that, oh, I'm breathing, I'm my, I'm my breath, I'm also my body, I'm also this feeling, right? And I'm not just this one anger, for example, that's put blinders on me. And I'm just this angry person. But when I'm tuning into my breath, I'm not just this angry person. Yes, I can feel the anger in my body, but I can also feel that I can breathe that I can calm down and I think that puts us in a different space and with enough practice to relax into that space yes yes okay I think the other thing that really helps me in all conflict and to accept myself as I am is to realize deep down we're all the same human beings because we are often so critical of ourselves aren't we Bhargavi and so if you're not at peace with yourself then it's very difficult to be at peace with anybody else, right? Yes. And that peace, I suppose, is that state of being a witness where things come and go. Yes. And I can rest as this awareness where all of this is happening and I can examine myself at so many levels. Yes. Um, and from there, I think the other practice, Manoj, to be compassionate, to use compassion as a tool in conflict management is uh, really to have to develop a compassionate voice within our own heads. Yes, yes. That Tell us more like, about that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, like I got angry and yelled at my partner yesterday and um, um, sitting with it. And I just feel that, okay, I did this. Yeah, something broke through me. Maybe some past trauma came in or I judged him or whatever happened, it happened. There are all of these inner parts that are conditioned and they do come through, right? And then to say, okay, it happens. It's okay, I'm a human being. Yes. It's okay. Just that it's okay, you know, then it's taken me a long time to, from, to move from the critical voice to a semi-compassionate voice, right? Because yes. we're conditioned also to be very critical about ourselves most yes. of the time. How could you yell at him? How could you do this? You're such a bad person, is that right? To move from that to, it's okay, it happens. So <laughs> what really works for me, one is to accept that I'm a human being. So this, these things happen. But then to ask myself, what can I learn? Mm. See, it's the learning that's the key. What can I learn about myself from what's happened? Yes. From when I lost my temper or when I behave badly or whatever it is, what can I learn? And of and course, if we really behave badly, we can just say sorry. How many people find it difficult to say sorry in relationships? Hmm. That's also the big difference between uh, compassion and complacency, Manoj. When there is no learning, um, Self-compassion can easily become complacency. Hmm. But uh, if...
just frozen there for a second. But the other thing I'd like to say is the other skill we can all learn in order to um, deal with conflict, with compassion, is the ability to listen deeply. Because quite often when we're listening, our mind is reactive. And we are immediately either sharing our point of view or telling people why they're wrong or right or whatever. And if instead we could just deeply listen and say, okay, you're upset, I can see. Tell me more. Be curious. Why are you upset? Okay, I'm sorry you felt that way. But instead, when we're listening to somebody who's upset about one thing, we'll often come back and say, well, I'm upset about the other thing you're doing. And then, of course, the you don't like my apples, I don't like your oranges. And neither the apples nor oranges get talked about, and it becomes a very quickly a shouting match. Okay, so I think we've kind of covered most of the things that we are uh, going to talk about, and we'll just pause there. And um, I'll just share with you a little bit about the um, Human Wisdom Project and what we're doing. All the resources that we've developed are... Um, on the uh, Human Wisdom app, which I'm gonna share with you in a second. And then we're gonna open it up for all your, um, your questions. Just give me one. Um... Hi, I'm so sorry. I, my internet just dropped me off. Okay, Bhargavi, we were just in the process of, while you were gone, I thought I'd just show them around the Human Wisdom app. And then we can uh, certainly take some questions. So this is a very quick two minute tour, just to show you um, the sort of things that are available um, on the app um, and where we have all the content linked to relationships. So in the For You page, there's a whole section on relationships. So if you click on that, all our content on relationships is in one place. So there's a 10-minute video on dealing with conflict, more detailed modules on relationships, emotional needs, how the mind is reactive, communication, love, and our opinions and beliefs. So to give you a flavor of it, if you look at the relationship module, it's got a lot of depth. It's got like 10 sessions, including breaking up and uh, bullying and abuse. And then there are stories, guided questions, short videos, podcasts. This will also be a podcast on that, uh, on the app, guided meditations and, and blogs. So a lot there for us to um, ex for you to explore. You can download and explore all of this uh, for free. Okay. It it means that we have to start from scratch, which is the person right there. Yes. And then once you have understood the 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 the, the originator, then you can engage with the world outside because we are all trained. Uh, from young to deal with the world outside, but not to deal with the world inside. Yes. That is also a conditioning, isn't it? So Gopalan, you've said something really profound, which is that we need to begin with ourselves. Mm. Before we enter any relationship, we need to have a relationship with ourselves mm. and explore what is that relationship we have? What is mm. this self we're talking about? And this is where the human wisdom approach comes in. It's all about learn, giving you the tools to learn about yourself, how your mind works. And that understanding awakens this inner intelligence, which then helps you deal with life in a totally different way. Uh, David, you've got your hand up. 
yeah, just like to say, really great conversation. Thank you for for holding this space. Just quickly, just my quick reflections and then uh, a question. So the themes that really came up for myself through this conversation, there were many, but the main ones were around um, empathy, you know, kind of like you were saying, look at what's going behind the conversation and um, self-actualization, you know, looking at yourself first before coming into a conflict. Um, Just my question would be, what part would you say making a conversation psychologically safe plays in in when dealing with a conflict? Bhargavi, go ahead. Thank you for that question, David. I think that's a very pertinent one. Um, I think as a society, it's each one of our responsibilities to make any space psychologically safe. I think we don't talk about it enough and I'm really glad for this question. Um, I think one of the first things is choice and agency that makes any safe any space psychologically safe that there is no coercion that there that power play is minimized or at least called out right um or acknowledged in verbally or non-verbally um and I think too many relationships I observe around me which are not psychologically safe because uh people are not aware and um, so I think there's a need to have this conversation in a lot of spaces and to just to afford ourselves and the other person the dignity of choice. I think that's um, that's the biggest thing. It comes up for me, David, in this. How do you make a, con- a person feel safe? See? And I think you do it in two ways. One is you listen deeply. And you make it clear that no matter what is shared, you're still going to love them. Because that's the biggest fear people have, that I will not be loved if I share this with you, or I'm worried about what you'll think about me. So this ability to listen deeply, ask a question instead of a com- make a comment, and make people, and touch could be important. You could hold somebody's hand, you could give them a hug afterwards, or whatever it is. Mm. But that mm. ability... Such a beautiful question. So thank you uh, very much for that. Do you have any uh, reflections of your own on that in terms of how we can make it safe for others? Well, I, well, I, well just to quickly tag on to your, the, the, again, that was a very beautiful share from both of you. Just to tag on that my additional thing when you were just talking there was around the uh, theme of belonging. I think that's really important. But as far as how I, th- how I think you make something psychologically safe is I think, you know, you have to, you know, you have to kind of think about it and just, you know, listen. Listening is very important, I think. I think listening is very important. Like you said, um, acknowledging the points that are being made and, you know, and not being, not judging. You know, if somebody says something, you know, again, you've talked about the theme of curiosity. I think that's very important. You know, if somebody says something, just not saying, okay, tell me more about that. Not just saying, oh, you've, you know, you're having a go at me, you know, ex- exploring, I think is very important. You know, we, we must always use positive language, I would say, and that definitely helps to make a conversation psychologically safe. I came across a really interesting experiment once somebody told me, which is when you're arguing about something, halfway through that argument, you pause and you say, right, you're going to swap sides now. And each person has to, you know, talk from the other other point of view. And if you try and do that, invariably, all the 
conflicting conflicts dissolve in terms of, you know, if someone has to t say why they want, um, you know, what I want, for example, then very quickly uh, conflicts can dissolve. But mm -hmm. any other comments at all or questions from any of our other uh, attendees? I've got a couple of things to add, but I just thought I'd open it for anyone to share. Hi. Yeah, I have some thoughts. Yes, go ahead, Karina. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation and I've been taking a lot of notes. Um, very uh, good points for reflection. One of the things that I'd like to unpack a little bit more is this concept about needs. Yes. So, and, and understanding deeply where the complaint is coming from. So, for example, in, in kind of my personal case it is less about what the other person's bringing to me and more about managing myself because I'm the one with the complaints so to speak and comments <laughs> and and uh and various um you know kind of expressions so to speak and it would be interesting to hear your point of view on any kind of tools to deepen that understanding within oneself like as you know what is the need What's the line that's being crossed? Because usually when this happens, there's about like 10 different things. And really, is it all 10 of them? Um, yes. And also, and then the secondary point to that is this balance between meeting your own needs and then also having the partner supporting some of those needs or not stepping on them or, you know, or empowering them, whatever that may be. Because the kind of devil's advocate question is, if I'm meeting all of my needs, then how can the partner support? <laughs> you know, if, what do they need the partner for then even? Yes. So so I'm kind of, so I have, so that's a secondary kind of bigger discussion that goes on top of it. So first is that fine tuning within yourself to be really clear what it is that you're upset about. Yes. Bearing in mind, it could be 10 things. And second is, what is that balance between meeting the needs yourself and even having this conversation with the other? Yes. Okay. I'll take, I'll get started with that. And Bhargavi, please feel free to join. You know, in any conflict, you can either deal with the conflict right there, or you can say, I'm going to go to a new field where I'm not going to think about the conflict, but I'm just going to look and learn more about myself. So a question could be, what emotional needs do I have? What are their origins? Where do they come from? Do all human beings have the same needs as I do? And so on. And the more you go deeper to explore where your needs come from, you realize the other person has the same needs. And two people who have needs, who are expecting each other to meet them, and then I label a relationship as successful, if you're meeting my needs, then I love you. If you don't meet my needs, then tomorrow I'm going to stop loving you, and all of that. And the more you explore all that, the more you realize that underneath all of that, all our needs is our sense of not being comfortable being alone, being with ourselves. All these needs, when they're met, they bring some kind of pleasure. And that pleasure covers over the ache of the emptiness that we have deep inside us as human beings. And making our peace with that emptiness opens the door to peace you know, to wisdom, to the sacred, all of that. That's what people have said for thousands of years. So you may start out with feeling there's a conflict with my needs, but if you go to this other field and you just 
exploring them and you're learning more and more about yourself, you end up in a completely different and beautiful place. Then this question itself disappears. What is my partner doing? What am, you know, and so on. Um, Bhargavi, do you want to add anything to that? Yes, uh, that's really beautifully said, Manoj. Uh, I think that invitation to go back, go and go st maybe step back into that field where you're also witnessing, observing, working on learning, right? And rather than being identified with the actor in the conflict, um, I also wanted to suggest that in that exploration to do that sort of inner work, just some tools, uh, Karina, that I might that I uh, that has really worked for me is journaling regularly, journaling, art journaling, where you know you're bringing an image, you think about the conflict, and you're just drawing, and then looking at the image and see what arises. Ways of exploring unconscious material through art and writing, poetry. These are all wonderful ways to explore um, indirectly, I'd say. Um, and uh, the other thing is to just track, I would say, you know, tracking uh, my body, emotion, thoughts, sensations regularly as a practice. If I'm tracking my thoughts regularly, um, then I have a better sense of what are these triggers or where are my attachments that I'm not letting go of or, you know, what irks me and so on. So as a regular practice to notice one's thoughts. So, yeah. uh Karina, on the app, you'll find two resources which you might find helpful. One is a whole module on emotional needs, which explores them. And then also we have an online journal with some guided questions. And again, there's a set of guided questions on emotional needs, which you may, may find helpful. Do you have your own perspective on that, Karina, to add to this conversation around that, around emotional needs before we move on? Yes, no, this this was really helpful, actually, what you said about at the end of the day, I was being afraid to be alone is a, that's a very big point. That's exactly what what this is about, you know, with having the other in this dynamic, like me versus me and them kind of one um, and union. Um, I do a lot of journaling already. I feel like I do too much writing, if I'm honest. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh, God, how much more, how many more hours do I need to write? But um. I'm I'm kind of at this point where I want to synthesize this knowledge and to start making changes. Um, I think there's some nutritional aspects that would be at play here, like physiological aspects, and that's another dimension that I'd like to introduce um, and explore in this. Um, I think this topic. also leads to this question of what love is, you know, because is love hmm. when you when I say I love you, what am I am I really saying I care about you? Or I'm saying thank you for all the things you're doing for me. <laughs> is it about me or is it about you? So, and I think understanding emotional needs and all our expectations helps you to put them to one side and love the other person for their sake. Not just because they are meeting your needs or not meeting your needs. You know, mm -hmm. it's not dependent on that, you see, which is where the mind is right now. Um, uh, Manoj, quickly before we move on, just want to also address the second question that uh, Karina brought up, uh, which connects to what you just said. It's really, I feel, about nourishing oneself uh, with enough love and just as it is uh, within oneself, right, without the other. Uh, you know, self-compassion practices are all about nourishing oneself and then 
one has the ability, one's cup is full and it's overflowing and then there's the ability to really be present and listen and do all of those wonderful things which would lead to a beautiful relationship. So I feel, Karina, that um, most of it is like, you know, meeting our own needs, but of course there are, then there are spaces that enrich and enhance our relationship where we have fun and we're living a full blooming relationship, right? And rather than looking at it as you fill my cup, I fill your cup. Right, we're looking at it the other way. Yeah. The other thing about this is such a big question: is that when I'm at deeply at peace with myself, I completely accept myself for who I am. I'm completely one with my own silence. I connect with the silence inside me. That's a topic for another conversation. But if I can do that, all my needs melt away because I'm completely at peace with myself. And then I don't really need you. I can, I need you to love me. And you know, it's a, it's a different kind of relationship, but it's not based on, you need to fill my cup that's empty. Uh, and that's the journey that comes from in, going in, within. And as Gopalana said in the chat, seek first to understand then to be understood that St. Francis of Assisi is such a beautiful uh, prayer if you haven't come across it. Patrick, sorry, we've kept you waiting for a bit. You've got your hand up. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you. Um, very interesting conversation. I was just wondering, you know, if we would add a kind of a new or a, a, another angle to the source of conflicts. Mm -hmm. uh, because from what I've understood, like 90, 95% of the conversation has been about uh, internal factors. Uh, and you rightly said, you know, that, you know, if you can't be at peace with yourself, you can't be at peace with others. I totally agree with that. Um, however, uh, this is like an aspiration for all of us, right? But it's a moving target because you're constantly dealing with conflicts internally. Uh, so it's not something you wake up one day and say, hey, now I'm at peace with myself. Everything is okay, right? Um, so, so let's see that as, as the internal factors or what I would consider the internal factors. Now, what about the external factors to the sources of conflict? Because uh, if you are not totally at peace as yourself, then what happens is that you're more sensitive mm -hmm. to uh, topics that can be discussed or mentioned by others. And the more sensitive you are, the more likely you are to go into some possible conflict, right? So just two examples, either at work, you know, if you're completely overstressed and something, and, and let's say a colleague for the second time hasn't delivered what they were supposed to deliver, then, you know, that could be a source of conflict. And the funny thing with that is that the conflict has nothing to do with the two individuals. It's got to do with the pressure, which is from uh, the workplace. Uh, another conflict which could be in a couple relationship is if one of them uh, has family in the war zone, for example, then that other person will be much more sensitive to the news or to the priorities in life or things like that. Uh, so, yeah, it was more to say to to ask, you know, what's what is the impact of, of external factors or do you believe they are totally irrelevant because at the end of the day it's only got to do with the internal factors? Very good question. And I'll start off and I'm sure others will join in. So you didn't mention, you know, I mean, I forgot to mention, but suppose you're in an abusive relationship. Somebody is really abusing you, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. Of course, that is not an internal thing. You, how can you cope with that? You have to 
make a decision whether you want to address it or leave or you know so there are external factors of course patrick that are so important and that need to be addressed if someone is just cruel and mean and controlling and you know you need to either leave or find a way of dealing with that but i think the other part of it is subtle so they say someone is stressed and really reactive if you're awakened let's call the use the word awake if you're awake then how you react to that person could be with compassion. If you're not awake, then you react with your own trigger. You trigger, they trigger, and before you know it, it's a downward spiral. So compassion comes, I think, from firstly being at peace with yourself, having that space, doing the breath work that we talked about, and then realizing the other person's upset. It's something that you, doesn't have to trigger you being upset. It's something that you can respond with space, compassion, goodness, love even, you know. Bhargavi, what do you think? Um, just to take on from there, if one is regulated and one is awake, right, then, then one is also ha has more resources to deal with the systemic issues. For example, if it, it's a really highly stressful workplace, then if I take the initiative to calm down my own nervous system, to track my nervous system and say, oh, the stress levels are unacceptable. This is impacting my thoughts. It's impacting my ability to hold space for my partner or et cetera. Then once I'm regulated, I'm at a better place to make a choice about whether I want to continue in this workplace or not, for instance, right? Um, which can, which are bigger questions and it does involve the external. And so, um, even the ability to see that there's choice sometimes I think requires one to first reach some some degree of calm because if one is in that sort of heightened emotional states at all times we may not even see that there's a way out of the situation uh, which often happens in abusive relationships yes. right uh, many times the victims don't really know that they have choice because their nervous systems are overstimulated at all times um, so I think if practices that help our parasympathetic activate like Manoj you were talking about earlier to come into more spaces of connection with ourselves uh, is the first step but then the external needs to be addressed of course. So you said something beautiful which is that if you're self-regulated and you then you realize you have choices in terms of how you respond but the unawake mind or the unregulated mind assumes there are no choices. So even if there is a lot of pressure, being stressed about it is an option. So it doesn't have to automatically follow that because there's a lot of pressure at work that I need to be stressed about it. And again, the more awake you are, the more you realize that there are choices in terms of how your mind responds. Because right now, our mind is conditioned, we're not aware of it. And we automatically react from that conditioning to whatever's happening. And this inner journey of learning gives you space. The more you learn and the more aware you are, the more choices you have. The more at peace you are with yourself, the more you can respond with compassion, intelligence, wisdom, whatever word you want to use, to the challenges that you face. And of course, every day we face many, many challenges. Um, any other thoughts or questions or comments? Um, unless you want to come back on that, Patrick, with your own insights into that, what you just said. 
What are your Okay, thank you. Um, okay. Um, so if anyone, uh, if there are no other comments uh, or questions, um, just remains for me to thank everybody for really a wonderful and stimulating discussion. Bhargavi, do you want to summarize? Sure, I think broadly we looked at what are the sources of conflict in a variety of relationships. And um, we understood that there are some hidden drivers in our thinking that contribute to conflict, such as our conditioning, past traumas, uh, underlying emotional needs that we may not yet be aware of, um, habitual thought patterns like comparing ourselves with other people, which can be due to cultural conditionings, and the importance of really unearthing all of this and to, to start somewhere, right? To start here, like Gopalan said, wherever I am right now, right? To just start here. And, um, and then we looked at how wisdom and compassion can help us manage this conflict better. And we spoke about the witness consciousness where we're stepping back and observing ourselves, ourselves. tracking our nervous system, um, become being aware of how am I when I'm triggered, when I'm when there's stress, how do I automatically respond and then having choice to make um, to to re to respond differently, right? And uh, to really look at, I think the key takeaway, Manoj, for me is that um, um, if a pattern is repeating itself, then you know to really take stock and take ownership that, that there's something I'm doing here that uh, that I can change. Right. And, and, and that's the uh, invitation, I suppose, for inner inquiry. Yes. Well, thank you, Bhargavi. So I would just end with maybe two or three points. One is all conflict begins in ourselves. So if you want to end conflict, you have to begin with yourself as well and be curious. What's going on in my thinking that's making me react in this way? <clears throat> I think the second thing about compassion is to realize why is the other person hurting? What's going on that making the other person hurt? And what can I do to help with that hurt? See? And I think if you ask that question, that is comes from compassion. And that can heal the most difficult relationships. How can you help somebody who's hurting? Because all conflict comes from hurt in the end. Right? I think just those simple things. And if you go on this journey of learning about ourselves and grow as human beings, grow in your own sense of peace, you're anchored in that peace. Yeah. Then not only will your relationships flourish, but you know, you'll live a wonderful life. And that's really what the whole human wisdom uh, approach is. Um, so, um, okay. Well, thank you very much, everybody. And I hope you have a lovely weekend. I'll share this recording with you in due course. This podcast came to you from the Human Wisdom Project. To find out more, please download the Human Wisdom app or visit humanwisdom.me. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>